Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members, and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. Welcome to another episode of The Big Interview with me, Graham Hunter. This time, my guest is Dietmar Aman, who many of you will remember as an elegant, effective, intelligent midfielder for Liverpool, or conquering Liverpool at that stage. But I wanted to talk to him about Bayern Munich, where his story began. I wanted to hear about Franz Beckenbauer, Giovanni Trapattoni, and Otto Rehagel, and what he learned from each of them. They were his first coaches in senior football, a treasure trove of brilliance, intelligence, experience. Thankfully, Dietmar wanted to speak about that too. This is part one of the big interview with Didi Aman. This is a special guy and he will entertain you, I promise. We're back on the big interview and we're privileged because um, sometimes you get to fulfill your wishes, not always, but um, Dietmar Hamann and I have had a couple of conversations over a couple of years about how to get together, whether to get together. Um, We spoke recently in lockdown and somehow or other I didn't screw it up sufficiently that you generously agreed to come back on, which is amazing in itself. First of all, um, I don't know if I say guten tag, tschüss or just... Morning, Dietmar. Hi, Graham. Look, Dietmar, um, if it's okay with you, what we'd like to do is is go almost directly to Bayern Munich. But the warm-up question is, do you really love cricket as much as people say you do? Because that fascinates me. 
Yeah, I do. I do. I always, uh, well, I didn't really know much about the game uh, before I came to England, uh, but uh, we trained in, uh, in Newcastle. We trained at Chesterley Street right next to the Durham uh, cricket ground. Uh, and obviously we watched uh, after training sometimes, watch the lads uh, train in the nets. Uh, and I was just fascinated by, by the pace, the bowlers bowl. Um, then uh, when I went to Liverpool, I went to Old Trafford to watch a few games, watch New Zealand uh, when uh, Vittori, the spinner, was still playing, um, watch Pakistan in a test match. Uh, and I was just fascinated because um, I think the mental side of it, you know, which is a, or a, a psychological side uh, in, in, in sports, uh, shouldn't be underestimated. I think it's all about the, all about the head. The head's got to be in a good, in the right place. And the thing is, in a test match, uh, you know, we talk about pressure in football. In football, you make a mistake, you've got a chance to redeem yourself a second, a minute later. Uh, in a test match, you could be out first ball, then you watch your teammates for a full day, then you're in the field for a day and a half, and then you come back out. And obviously, you have to avoid uh, getting out for a duck again. And, uh, you know, I, I always wondered, you know, obviously, it's very hard to compare the, the, the psychological demands of games and, and different sports. Um, but these cricketers, I think, are in a way in a league of their own because they play in a team, but at the same time, when they're out in the middle, they're on their own. So it's, it's an individual sport played in a team, uh, which always fascinated me. And then obviously the skill, and I got to meet Freddie Flint of a few years after. He took me to the Nets at Old Trafford and he bowled uh, for half an hour balls uh, out of the machine. Uh, to me. And um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating sport. And, um, you know, what these guys do when they're the crease when the balls come in 90, 95 miles an hour um, is, is, is simply unbelievable. We use two to get out of this subject. One, one of our guests um, on the big interview was um, Phil Neville and, and that family was obsessed by cricket and Phil was good enough to potentially have been an England player. He was England captain at a young level and he told us this extraordinary tale, Dietmar, that how um, his dad was obsessed, Neville Neville was obsessed by club cricket and at club cricket level there were West Indian professionals just before they got a county and Phil Neville was put into bat for his dad's side, aged 12 he reckons, against was it Otis Gibson who was a West Indian fast who played internationally no hat, no, no, no protective, you know, and and I was sitting there open mouth, and okay, they make them tougher on Lancashire, you know, you've been there a long time, but to put a twelve-year-old kid, however good he is, and against a West Indian quick, that's got to be madness, right? <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's just the way it was at the time. I think Joe Hart was a fantastic cricketer as well. You know, I think he was a bowler. He could have probably uh, played at a higher level. And, and also, I think, uh, you know, when you, when you spin the wheel back or when you want to wanna, uh, uh, or look forward to today's uh, age where, where young kids go into academies age 10, 11, you know, I think it's very important for these kids to play different sports uh, because being versatile, being flexible, um, I think is key because uh, there's, there's skills you need in, in cricket, you need in rugby, you need in other sports, uh, you may not need that much in football. And I think to, to be an all-round uh, a good sportsman or, or professional sportsman, I think it can only help when young kids um, you know, play different sports at a young age. And uh, I'm, I'm no friend of people saying, well, you've got to make a decision when you're 10 or 11, which way you want to go. I think it's detrimental to the, uh, to the improvement and the development of, of young kids. And um, you know, maybe this is one thing 
you know, when we come out of this crisis now, when, because people said, well, what can we change? What do we have to do? Um, you know, I've got two girls and I'm very happy and blessed with them. But if I had boys, I don't think I would give them to an academy before the age of 15, 16, 17, because that's when it starts. Before that, they have to enjoy themselves, have fun, take responsibility, and if possible, play uh, all sorts of different sports. We in this interview are, are thoroughly behind you in that idea that it broadens your mind and that at that age, while you're definitely learning all kinds of personal responsibilities and skills, enjoyment is a real key and in academies we've seen it sometimes drummed out of them but the get out of question of this subject is that you have a frame and an athleticism quite similar to, to Stuart Broad quite similar to Kev Peterson um, I'm, but I'm thinking that your brain probably enjoyed most when a spinner like Warney tries to catch the, that thing about I'm going to get you there's one that way there's one that way oh you didn't see that one coming I, I think that's your mind more than the other two right yeah he always said Shane Warne always said you have to have a plan to get him out you don't have to get him out first ball but in within the six balls you've got to have a plan to get him out and um, yeah I don't think I would have been you know uh, you know you've got to be pretty physical to be a a seamer you know to to be a fast bowler you know these are very fit lads i know that the, the frame is probably similar but i think that's where it ends with me uh compared to Stuart Broad and, and the greats of uh, Brett Lee and Glenn McGrath um no the spinners always uh, always admired the the way they do spin how they spin it and and how they try to set set batsmen up um so um yeah i, I just like every every aspect of the game uh, there's a lot of strategy, especially in, uh, in test cricket, which unfortunately um, isn't isn't as popular anymore because the shorter formats are taking over. But um, no, just uh, I just love watching the game, and um, yeah, I think it's a it's a fascinating sport. I didn't think my admiration for you could grow any further, but we're also sharing the five day thing as well, which I could rant about for days, but I'm not going to. German cricket is on the rise. I can see a world champion German side one day, thanks to Deep Mohammed. I'm going to take you all, all, all the way back. Um, born in, in kind of, I think, northwestern Bavaria, you're good enough to be coming through ranks and, and, and joining this club for which everybody in European soccer has got a fascination, I think. In, in my day, I'm, I'm older than you. I feared them. I, and if I'm honest, I didn't like them. I was very much an Ajax man in the early 70s. We saw very little football, but the colour of the strip, the, the, the beauty of, of Cruyff's movement was to... And then Bayern went three in a row. And, and Bayern was such full of such extraordinary men, not just great footballers in those days. They would always win when they shouldn't. And if they should win, they would crush. So you, you grow up kind of admiring, fearing, in, in my words at least. But you can take us to the sort of early 90s when as you're coming through... You're, you're successful in, in the second side at Bayern Munich. You come through with uh, Roman Grill, who's gone on to become a famous uh, Actor 7 representative. Sebastian Bart says hello, by the way. He was with you at Manchester City. Seb works with Roman Grill. He says hi. Give us a feeling. We, we once interviewed Thomas Hitzelsberger uh, about growing up at Bayern Munich, and he couldn't wait to get away. He, he, he skived off to go to Aston Villa all on his own without telling anybody. He got a terrible row. When you come into that environment, age 16, try to paint a picture for what, of what it was like, Dietmar. Well, I had the chance. I, I played for a smaller club here in, in Munich, Wacker München, and uh, 
I had the chance to go to Bayern Munich when I was, uh, I think, from the from the age of 10, 12. Uh, they, they tried to get me over there uh, every year or every couple of years. But my dad coached me in Munich, in Wacker Munich. And, um, yeah, I had my mates there. We had a multi-culti team, uh, Turkish, uh, ex-Yugoslavia, Serbs. Croatians, Afghanistan, Greeks. We had we had the lot. We had a, a multicultural team, uh, and we just had fun. And uh, it was a, it was a great bunch of lads. And uh, I just didn't see the point um, of going to Bayern Munich at a young age. And uh, when I was sixteen, Hermann Gerland took over, who was a, a Bundesliga coach with Bochum and, and Nuremberg, took over the the under 18s And uh, he watched a game when I played as a as a uh, under. 16 player for the under 18s. We played against Bayern Munich a week or two weeks after it was announced that he will take over the team next season. And uh, he watched me and he called uh, the, the week after uh, and he asked whether I want to want to join them. And, um, you know, I had a discussion with, with, my, with my parents and I thought it's the right time to go now because you've got a guy there who's got a track record to, uh, to improve young players who, who obviously uh, uh, goes from a, from a, from senior managing, managing a Bundesliga team, to Bayern Munich to coach the under-18s. He uh, didn't have to do that, but he wanted to do that because he saw, uh, I think, uh, a group of lads coming through where some have a chance to play for the first team, which wasn't really the case uh, at Bayern Munich because it was very hard to, 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 to get through to the first team. And I made my mind up pretty quickly. So I went there, I played for the under-18s for a couple of years. Then uh, he, he went with us uh, to coach the, uh, the second team, the amateurs, the Bayern Amateure. Hermann Gerland and um, I wasn't I was intimidated when I when I went there because obviously I played for the guys uh, against the guys I played with in Bayern Munich I played against them for the last five or six years so you know you knew each other uh, and I was never a Bayern Munich fan I was a Hamburg fan because they won the European Cup in '83 with Felix Magath against Juventus in Athens so I really only went to the stadium in Munich when Hamburg was in town. So there was no intimidation really or saying, oh, this is, this is my childhood club or this is a, the team I, I admire and I have to make it here. So, you know, that external pressure was really there because, uh, as I said, I never supported them. I, never, I was never in fear. As I said, I, I knew them guys. Uh, and I, I felt, I think I was top scorer for the both, uh, both years in the under-18s. Though I, I felt because I played a bit further forward when I was younger, you're probably a bit surprised. Um, but I felt I was there on merit. Um, and I just, uh, I just enjoyed it there and uh, just felt, you know, let's, let's see what happens. That was going to be my next question because if I judge it correctly, one of the others that come through um, at your time and goes on is Sami Kafour. He's one of the group that makes it through. But I, I was led to believe that you would either, you certainly you weren't a pivotee in the early days, that sometimes you were actually quite wide. I don't know if you were a traditional winger, but you played wide and high. What was your role? Why did you change? And what types of goals were you scoring then? I was an offensive midfielder. I was I was pretty much I pretty much scored the, the the most goals in every every team I played. I was in the uh, offensive midfielder. Uh, I scored goals. I, I left the defending to other players uh, or other teammates, <laughs> uh, which gave me the opportunity to um, you know to save my energy going forward. And um, yeah, I could strike a ball. I was uh, technically pretty gifted, but. Uh, I, I still scored goals in the second team for Bayern Munich. I think it was well in double figures both years I played. Um, you know, I scored, scored all sorts of goals. But then I found it when I, when I started playing with the first team, 
um, obviously you play against better players and I found it harder to, um, to score or, or to even get a shot off on goal because I think when you play against the, the, the best players then, which obviously in the, in the Bundesliga was the case, I think you need either a bit of pace or you need a trick or you need, you need something a little bit extra, you know, uh, in and around the box. Um, and I just didn't have that. So uh, the, yeah, the normal uh, conclusion was to, to, to play a bit further back where you don't rely on goals, where you can uh, maybe rely on your uh, strategic uh, knowledge and sense. And, um, you know, that's what happened. So uh, I don't think pretty early on, I think Franz Beckenbauer, when he, when he took me to the first team, I made a couple of appearances where I even played up front, but the games were decided we were winning 3 or 4-0. Um, but then when, when Trapattoni came, uh, I think it was pretty clear that uh, that, that holding role uh, will be the role which is best suited to me. I, I was going to ask you, because I don't think you could have had too much exposure to Franz Beckenbauer on, in a training sense before he promotes you, because in the season you make your breakthrough, Erich Riebeck has been the coach, he's dismissed, things, things aren't really all that good. You make your debut against a, a pretty good, um, I think a Stuttgart side is, is my memory, with Ike Immel famously in goals, Bertold, World Cup winner, Gira Buchwald, um, Dunga, playing against Dunga. And it's, it's Franz Beckenbauer who promotes you. I, I'm imagining that, that even though he played similarly to you, because I don't think he was an out-and-out defender... He, he was a libero. He could certainly play in offensive and organising midfield like you could. What impact can you say that he had on you beyond just saying, tapping you, Dietmar, you're in the first team and I'm your coach. Beyond that, did he teach you? Did he make an impression on you? Well, I, w- I was at a crossroad at Bayern Munich because I played for 18 months for the second team um, and I didn't really progress any further. Um, you know, I, I knew full well that you can play for the second team a year and a half, maybe two years. Well, then you've got to move on because if you hadn't made the step up from the second team to the first team within 18 months or two years, it probably never happened. And um, yeah, I, I had the old training session with the first team and Ribic was there. Um, but there wasn't really an opportunity for a young player, or certainly not for me. Um, so when Franz Beckenbauer took over, we went uh, on a preseason camp early January uh, to Tenerife, uh, where always three or four uh, players from the second team would go to you know, make up the numbers uh, so they can play 11 v 11 or if they have a few injuries. So they, they, they've got enough uh, numbers there to, uh, to play a full game. And uh, yeah, we trained for a week uh, and at the airport uh, on the way back, uh, he pulled me and he said, um, you stay with us. You're not going back to the second team, you stay with us. Uh, which was obviously great for me because, um, you know, if nothing would have happened that winter or in the, in the coming months, I probably would have asked the club to um, to loan me out to a, to a championship team. You know, if you're lucky, maybe you find a Bundesliga team. But I would certainly, uh, I would have certainly left the club. And um, yeah, well, I stayed with them in the first game. Uh, I remember it was a, a freezing cold day. It was minus 18 or minus 20 degrees in, in the old Olympic Stadium, uh, which uh, it makes you feel uh, even colder in, in, in a big stadium like this. It's open and it's gusty, so, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we played a very good team and we were 17 in the... At the time, there were only 16 allowed on the team sheet and um, he left Olaf Thorn, another World Cup winner. Uh, he left Olaf out of the, out the squad and put me on the bench, which, 
you know, I kind of, I was a bit embarrassed because Olaf was probably one of the best or probably, or maybe the gift, most gifted player I've ever played with. He was unbelievable, an unbelievable player and talent. But so I, I was a bit embarrassed. Um, what others players may think that Olaf is not on the bench and I am. Um, and then he brought me on with about 20 minutes to go. It was 3-1 to Stuttgart. As I said, it was a very cold, very cold evening. It was an evening game. Um, I can't remember too much. I don't think it had too much of an impact. We lost the game 3-1. Um, but obviously, that was the, the first step um, yeah, into the into that first team. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The, the guys then, for, for those who maybe weren't fortunate enough to, to be watching football in, those, in that era... Raymond Aumann is the keeper. Jorginho Kreutzer has a name. Helmer, famous. Lothar Matthias is, is one of the great German footballers, although some would argue that you know, you've know you gone to a similar level. Christian Sieger, who played at um, Liverpool and at Tottenham too. You replaced Marcus Schutt. Christian Nerlinger, who'd go on to be general manager uh, at Bayern. Mehmet Scholl, who'd win the European Cup. Bruno Labbadia, Marcel Witticek. It's a really, really good side, and it's coached by Der Kaiser, who's really only taking over from Ribeck. But at that stage, when you lose, okay, by not many points, you're still sitting, you know, Eintracht Frankfurt atop, there's Leverkusen, Werder Bremen, Duisburg are ahead of Bayern Munich. It's a very unforgiving atmosphere to be in, as I think at that stage, a 19 year old. Was there a sense, maybe not of crisis, but is Bayern Munich in a situation like that? extra intense, extra demanding with some finger pointing or was it total unity and we march forward together? Yeah, usually when you're not, when you're not top, then there's always a bit of unrest uh, in and around the club and obviously in the press. But um, it was a bit different, I think, uh, with Beckenbauer to go, but because, um, you know, he's, um, he's like a messiah in Germany and around Munich. So 
when we lost their first game, um, he would just say, obviously, I can't remember the exact quote, but he would have said, well, it's one game, we played against a good team, move on. And, uh, you know, they, the journalists probably wouldn't have taken it uh, for an answer of anybody else. But when he said it, then they said, well, if that's it, that's it. You know, we, we have to move on. If, if he moves on, we have to move on. Because, um, you know, I think when it came to criticism, obviously he would have been criticized if things were to go wrong. Um, but I think the respect was just uh, too much. And I think certain parts were maybe a little bit intimidated by his figure and by his aura because you would have uh, met him. And when he entered a room, you feel like everything else stands still around you. So, um, you know, he, he would have just brushed any criticism of the team. He would have brushed it off and said, we put it right the next few uh, games. And as the season progressed, then, um, you know, we won the league that year. You know, he certainly did turn, turn things around. Describe the, the Beckenbauer you knew, for good or bad. One, did he impart any knowledge to you positionally and in terms of how you played? And two, give us the privilege of telling us a little bit about the man because most people listening to him certainly didn't see him play. You're right, I've met him a couple of times and you're right, it's quite impressive when he's around. But, but give us your version of him. Well, the most important thing was to give me a chance. Because if you're a young player, you need somebody who believes in you. If you, you can be the best player in the world, if you don't get the, the opportunity to show what you're capable of, then you will never play for the first team or will never play at a high level. Um, so I think that's most important that he always believed in youth. And, uh, you know, if they were good enough, they were old enough. That was always his credo. That's how he always saw it. Um, he, he wouldn't go into detail. Obviously, he would, he would say the odd thing, little things, uh, nothing in particular, and we shouldn't forget that I wasn't a starter. I played in that in that second half of the season. I think I had five or six substitute appearances, um, but always when there was a chance to to uh, include me, he would do that. And you know, he had just such a such an aura and, and, and such a um, authority that uh, you know people would just listen to him and I uh, remember that he came to training every morning when obviously he took over in January uh, then when in March and April when we were winning games and, and the weather improved he would come to training and he would remind us every day that we've got the, the, the best job in the world he said there's a million sitting in the office now looking out the window he said you train here for an hour and a half have someone to treat and then you go home um, he said appreciate every single day you're here and um, one day, one of the players said, when do we train tomorrow? Uh, and he said, uh, yeah, because we trained an hour earlier because he, play, he lived in, uh, in Kitzbühel at the time. So he would uh, travel from Kitzbühel, which is an hour, hour and a half. And he would put the, the training forward so he'll miss the traffic and he gets back to Kitzbühel quick as we can, can play golf in the afternoon. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so we, we usually we trained at 10, but he moved it forward to nine o'clock. Uh, so somebody said, when do we train tomorrow? He said, yeah, tomorrow, same time, nine o'clock. He said, but it's optional. So one of the guys said, what do you mean optional? He said, well, if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. You know, you get paid for it. You may as well come. But he said, if somebody doesn't want to come, he said, you know, don't come if, if you think you have to. Um, and that was just his approach to, um, you know, to make people realize what a, what a privileged job in, in life they've got. It's funny how often the true greats, as men or women and as sports people, have idiosyncrasies. They normally aren't flat, two-dimensional personalities. There's always something where you're left going, what? 
but, but this is one of the great, for example, the, a comparable thing is uh, here at Cru- uh, when Cruyff takes over the dream team, he's got a, a, a defence largely made up of guys who are too small to be defenders. And they come to him and say, well, boss, we keep conceding goals from corner kicks. What do you want us to do? He said, well, number one, I'm not a defender, not a goalkeeper. You sort it out, out amongst yourselves. And number two, stop giving away corners and free kicks. It's that simple. Turn and walk away. There's a core of sense in it, but it's not a normal expression to say you guys, you, you guys fix it. But you you paid him back. You you paid their Kaiser back because by May you score your first goal. Now we've not rehearsed this. Perhaps you've forgotten all about your first goal. I think it's against FC Köln. Nuremberg it was. Ah, Nuremberg. Pardon me, but FC Nuremberg it is. Of course it is. And you come on in 73 minutes and you take 10 minutes to score in a 5-0 win en route to the first title for Bayern Munich in four years. Um, did that feel relatively pleasant? Yeah, that no, was good. It was, um, we had to replay the game because in the game we played against them before, the three or four weeks before, I don't know whether you heard about the, the ghost goal of Thomas Helmer. There was a corner uh, where Thomas Helmer put the, put the ball wide off the post and the linesman waved. He thought he crossed the line when it didn't. So they uh, uh, protested the result after the game. We won the game 2-1. Nuremberg put in a protest. Uh, it went through because the ball never crossed the line and the linesman, he just saw it from the side and he saw the ball go behind the line. What he didn't realise, that it, that it was wide of the goal. Um, so we had to replay the game a few weeks later and in that game we beat them 5-0 and uh, as you rightly said, I came on after a few, uh, after 70-odd minutes and scored after a few minutes. Mehmet Scholl went through Square the ball, it was pretty much an open end. Andy Kupke was in goal for Nuremberg at the time. And um, yeah, it was, it was good to, to, to get that first goal. I don't want to say I felt more um, integrated into the squad because you just read out the players. You know, they were all exceptional players. But obviously, that's another small step to, you know, I'd say get accepted by the lads and, and, and kind of feel part of it. Things change quickly, uh, Dietmar, and one of the things that's distinguished you as a guy and a footballer is that you've got an extremely intuitive, sharp brain. You process things, you think well. But I guess Beckhamar's given you your chance, um, you've won the title, and he immediately opts to move on. Um, now, if I'm not wrong, they, they make a, an appointment because it, it's Ray Hagel first before Trap, right? No, it was Trap first. Trap first. So Trap, Trap was a coach. Trap, um, significantly older even than the Kaiser. He played again somewhat in your position. An extremely different, volatile man, enormously successful as a player and a coach, I suppose, a little bit like, like um, Beckenbar was. But the, I think the regimes, the ideas must have changed, that clearly communication was a problem. From your vista, what were those early days with this new, noisy Italian man coming into Sabinerstrasse like? Well, uh, obviously, we, obviously uh, Lothar said a few things because he had him in, in uh, Inter, Inter Milan uh, when, they, <coughs> when they won the league in the 90s. Um, no, you just have to be open, and I think it's it's never been a uh, uh, a secret that he's been a, a master tactician, uh, that he's got a lot of empathy, that he uh, likes to communicate with players. Um, and I think for a young player, um, it's very important that you got a manager who cares about you and who wants you to improve and to learn. And when he came through the door, 
Um, the training sessions were a lot longer than we are used to, which didn't go down too well. The intensity wasn't wasn't high. But we would train in preseason for two and a half, three hours. We would work on a, on a throw-in for an hour, hour and a half, which um, which is a long time. But I think he ingrained something into us, which afterwards it gave Bayern Munich the opportunity to win the Champions League. I think Trapp in his two spells at the club, I think he takes should take major credit and uh, had a major impact on the team that Hitzfeld took over then in 98, got to a Champions League final in the first year and a couple of years won the Champions League because I think he improved all the players. You know, from a tactical uh, point of view, he would... He, he taught me what uh, defensive midfield play or midfield as a whole in midfield means. What you should do, what you shouldn't do, what you must not do. You know, he learned me all these things. And he would go over it time and time again. He would put it to the side. He said, what are you done there? You shouldn't do this. You can't do this. And he always said, one of the things, one of the first things was as centre midfielder, he said he never play one-two with a, with a front man. He said, if you play a straight ball, and the centre forward, which was I think then Papa or Klinsmann, who were signed that that season. That's right. And he said, if you play a straight ball into the front man, and the the, the centre forward twenty twenty five yards in front of goal, and the defender got a got a uh, the, the centre forward got a defender up his back. He said, if you play the ball forward and wait for the one two, you know, you follow the ball and you try to play a one two. He said, if that ball gets intercepted, he always said, in the middle, it's autobahn, autostrada. <laughs> because, because, you know, you, you've got to occupy space. As a central midfielder, I think one of the most important uh, qualities or, or, or jobs you've got to do is occupy space. And he said, if you lose a ball, um, and we had a, one other player who played next to me, Christian Nerlinger, he used to do that all the time. He played the ball into the front man, try to get the layoff and then get a shot on a shot off on goal. And he said, you don't follow that ball because if it gets intercepted, he said, it's out of ban. And, and there were certain things he said, you can't do, you shouldn't do, you mustn't do. Um, and he was really great. And he would stay behind. We had uh, four, five, six young players. You know, we had Kufa then, we had Marcus Babel still there, Christian Nerling, and Christian Siege was young, Alexander Zickler, uh, who had a great career at Bayern Munich. Um, he was there and he would stay behind with us and work on our left foot. So everybody would have gone home and we would be out for an extra hour with him where he said, come on, we, we, we work on the, on, the, on the weak foot now. And we would do that in preseason every day during the season once, twice, which was kind of annoying at times. But after six or 12 months, all of a sudden I could use my left foot, you know, better than I did before. And um, yeah, the, it was just brilliant. Uh, for me, uh, obviously I had... Uh, a few, well, a lot of people had a, a huge impact on my career. Hermann Gerland, when I came to Munich as my youth team coach, then Franz Beckenbauer to give me the chance. But I think Trapp was the, in a, in a, in a way, the final jigsaw because he really taught me what, uh, what playing in, in midfield meant. I feel from what I've learned that Benitez shared similar ideas about detail and position and space. But if you contrast the two men, my limited meetings with Trapp showed me a man physically still tight, uh, fit, wiry, quite a small man by modern standards, but like a fox, a wily glint in his eye all the time, expressing enthusiasm, not just Italian um, gestures, 
but in almost injecting you with an enthusiasm. I once saw him talking about tactics for an upcoming match, and he lost himself just in the enthusiasm, what he really wanted to communicate. I thought, wow, you could work for this guy. Is that a decent description? No, it was very weird. He was, he was loved by the players. You know, I don't think it was a single player who didn't love what he, what he did. Obviously, there's always uh, cases where players thought they should be playing um, but he, he was very uh, empathetic. Uh, he always cared about the players. The only, the only downside was, you know, I would have loved to have a conversation with him or play for him in his native language. You know, there was always a bit of a problem because we had an uh, interpreter who uh, translated, but sometimes you didn't know whether this is what Trapp said or what he meant because he was a youth team coach as well. And uh, there was... Yeah, the, the old problem with the language. Uh, apart from that, uh, I can't speak of him in, in, in higher terms. He was absolutely brilliant with all the players. And as I said, I think he had a major impact that uh, Bayern Munich went on to become so successful on the on the Ottoman Hitzfeld in 98. But did he have to supersede difficult times? Because I, I don't want to overstate it, but my impression is that Bayern Munich is in the top two, three clubs anywhere in the world for not just being demanding, but not tolerating setbacks. And, okay, the Super Cup is the Super Cup, but the start is against Werder Bremen and Ray Hagel, and it's an extra time defeat, but it's a defeat in, in a trophy game, the least important of the trophies, but nonetheless. And then the astonishing thing that I didn't know until I went back and looked at, and I'm because I'm a masochist, I'm going to try and pronounce T.S. Vau, Westenberg's Greuter. Yeah, you've done a good job. Oh, hours and hours of practice with my left tongue. My left foot, sorry, in Tesbau. And for those who don't know, that's a relatively minor club in Germany, which knocks a good uh, Bayern Munich site, now starring Oli Kahn in goal, um, out of the cup. Now, those two things relatively early in Trapp's time, with you as a, as a reasonably strong participant, that must have been something approaching crisis at that stage. No, no, it was obviously they they were a team from the from the third tier, so they were two below us. What should be said, they had quite a few quid. They wanted to get into the second division, into the championship. They had a a guy who produced tea. He was the biggest tea producer in Germany at the time, uh, and he bankrolled them. And um, you know, they they probably had a team that was closer to a championship team than a than a League One team. But nevertheless, when we go there, we should have beaten them. But then again, you know, Trapp introduced quite a few young players and, and all the players I just mentioned, uh, they were a big part and he wanted them, them to play and play a part. And um, obviously nobody likes to lose, especially against a, a team that's two divisions below her. Um, but I think um, he, he could, um, I think what he was good at was, you know, he knew he's hopefully there for two or three years. Um, and if you lose a game, even though it's a, it's a cup game where you don't get a, another chance, obviously it's, it's, it's bad, it's not good, but it's not the end of the story because it's part of the process. And I think he was always uh, pretty sensible when it came to these things to, uh, to know what an impact uh, lost games might have on, on certain players because, you know, as you said, this was one of my first games as a, as a, as a professional footballer. Uh, I think I even, even started the game um, you know, you've got to learn from these things. And, in, you know, looking back now, I don't think it was necessarily a bad thing for all of us, even though we were devastated at the time, uh, that it did happen uh, so early in our careers. Some of us did get a second chance. 
because due to your age, your status, and the strange nature of German football, a Bayern Munich 2 was still in the cup. So you went back and played against uh, Chemnitzer, for example, but you played a couple of rounds and I think got knocked out narrowly in the quarterfinal, having been knocked out already with the senior team. I quite liked that. And you went back to play with a young Flugler. Sammy Kafour was there, Roman Grill. Did that feel good? Uh, a little bit embarrassing? Did you have dreams of maybe winning the cup with the, junior, with, with the amateur team rather than the senior team? No, I didn't see it as, uh, as, as having to play with them because obviously we had a lot of young players and we, we liked to play together. Obviously in the first team, we didn't always get a chance. And we actually, we beat, we beat Bremen and we beat Cologne in, in, that, uh, in that season. And we got knocked out by a championship team. Uh, uh, I think it was Tennis Borussia Berlin who played in the championship. We lost in the uh, quarters. Uh, we would have gone into the semis. I think we lost 5-4 after extra time. So, um, yeah, it would have been a great story because at the time there was also a very good second team of Hertha Berlin. They actually got to the cup final. They lost to Leverkusen with uh, Carsten Romilo who then made the move to Leverkusen. He was part of the second team. So, um, yeah, it was a it was a, a fascinating time because we had Bayern Munich too. We nearly got to the semis, and I think the season before, two seasons before, uh, Hertha Berlin with their second team actually got to the cup final in uh, in the in their own stadium. Thank you for listening to the big interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.